So like, is it really true or is it really fair to say online dating is this horrible thing that has just really screwed things over? And the truth is, is that like whatever experience you're having online is probably just an exacerbated experience of whatever your pattern is to begin with. So Mm -hmm. if you get really triggered around people rejecting you, like not writing you back or whatever, then that probably shows up in some way, whether you're meeting people at like a party or work or, or whatever. Online dating is not the reason anyone is still single. Let's put it that way. Welcome back to another episode of Chapter 20-something with me, Kylie McDonald. Happy Tuesday. Hope you had a great day, a great weekend, a very happy Memorial Day, and special shout-out to all of our armed forces and their families and loved ones. Much love to you all. Yeah, I didn't really have too much of an eventful weekend. I worked. Today, though, Memorial Day, I did have off. And I went on a run with my friend. Um, My friend Randall and I have been going for runs, which is like very out of character for me. And it's kind of weird because when he first said, hey, do you want to go like on a run next week? I was like, yeah, sure. But when I was driving to the park, I was like, why did I agree to this? Like, I absolutely hate running and that is something that I know and it's something that is true to me. So, I don't know. Weird decision. First time we did it, it was a little rough. I'm not gonna lie. Um, It's like that meme. It's like, you know, they had us in the first half. Not gonna lie. <laughs> I hope you know what I'm talking about. Um, The first one was a little rough. Got through it. We did like three miles. I don't know. Usually when I run... Like, I do some hit sprints, but we ran, like, three miles straight. Sucked. But then we did it again a couple weeks ago. Already, it was so much better. I was very proud of myself. And then today, we went to this nature preserve. Did, like, some temple run action, jumping over logs and sliding under trees. He actually was going for it. I did, like, a little hop, skip, and a jump. Made it look cute. Um... But no, I, it's a it's a fun time. It's a good to like connect with a friend, get some exercise, get outdoors, you know. That's what life's about, even if you can't really breathe and he's like 20 feet in front of you, you know. It's about friendship at the end of the day. <laughs> Speaking of that, I guess we're just on an athletic tangent today. I saw this tweet today. It made me laugh out loud. It said, no... U.S. president in history could have completed the presidential fitness test in gym class. And, oh my god, true. But also, that test was so hard. I know you all remember this. I mean, I was in New York. We had it. I think it's a national thing, but it was that test where you had to do a certain amount of crunches. You had to reach past your toes a certain amount, do some pull-ups, and They had on this tweet, I'll have to post it, they had, um, you know, the qualifications to actually pass the presidential fitness test 
it's ridiculous. It's like if you're 10 years old, you should do 60 crunches in a minute. I might be slightly exaggerating, but I swear it was like pretty close to that. I remember being so disappointed that I couldn't do a pull-up when I was like 11. Like, girl, I don't know. I had no upper body strength anyway. Still don't, but like... That was a tough day, but I was very good at reaching past my toes. I was definitely like one of the highest ranked in my class for that. So I was like, Olympics, here we come. Um, (laughs) I wonder if you guys have any memories of that test, let me know. Maybe I should try to do it again just to see how many I could do. That would, that's a good idea. That's funny. Okay. This week I'm going to do it. If you want to do it too, join me. Let's see if we could beat the presidential fitness test. (laughs) Um, I hope you guys take some time to enjoy, breathe, take some time for yourself. You know the drill. This episode is pretty deep, pretty emotional. Veronica Grant, who was our guest, she really goes in depth about her childhood and her own struggles and how she is now using them to help others through their journeys with loving themselves and their bodies and um, all that good stuff. Um, I will put a little trigger warning. We do talk a little bit about, you know, body image and eating disorders and all that. Nothing too crazy, but you know, of course I would want to put that warning out there for anybody who might need it. But yeah, she's great. She is a love and life coach. She really has such great insight and is really doing um, amazing work for the people who go to see her. Enjoy this episode. Check her out at veronicagrant.com. Uh, you could also follow the podcast on Instagram at chapter20somethingpod. And you could follow me at official Kylie McDonald. Sorry if I sound like I'm whispering, it's because I am. Everybody in my house is asleep, and you know your girl is doing this at the last minute, as always. (laughs) Alright guys, um, enjoy your week. Let me know who you want to see on the pod, what you want to talk about, any questions, comments, give it to me. Oh, except make sure it's nice, make sure it's nice. Um, I was out with a friend at a bar yesterday, and this guy came up to me, he's like, oh, I know you from TV. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you're a lot prettier in person than you are on TV. And I was like, okay, like, thank you. I don't know. Some people, when they give compliments, uh, don't know how to give them. But, you know, (laughs) I'll just uh, take it and um, hopefully know that he meant well by it. Okay. (laughs) That's it for today, guys. Enjoy the episode and much love. Have a good one. Bye. Please welcome Veronica Grant to Chapter 20 something. How are you today, Veronica? I am good. Thanks so much for having me and thank you for the kind introduction. Oh my gosh, of course, of course. So you just shared with me that you're a new mom. So congratulations. That's so exciting. How's it going? How's how's mom life? You know, it's, uh, I mean, I only know it from the context of being in the middle of a pandemic. Um, True. I think that if it wasn't a pandemic, I would be thinking, oh, I can't go do this anymore. I can't do that anymore because either I'm not sleeping or because it's baby's nap time or whatever. But like with life not being normal and most people just at home right now, it's like, well, you know, I guess I might as well just take care of a baby, you know? (laughs) 
so, Karen, like I picked the best timing for this. Yeah, so that way, like it's it's much easier, I think. Um, in some ways, it's difficult because you know it's hard to get childcare, and um, I'm balancing running my business basically in um, non nine to five hours because basically I can work when my husband doesn't have to. Got you, got you. Um, so yeah, there's definitely some challenges, but I think overall, like it's really amazing. I'm really, really loving it. I mean, by all accounts, I only know this one baby, I mean, intimately at least, but all by all accounts, I think he's a pretty easy baby. He sleeps pretty well. He doesn't just cry for no reason. So I think it's been relatively smooth. Awesome. Well, good for you. That's not the appropriate response. Good for you, but congratulations. <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's truly amazing. Um, so where are you from originally? So I'm from North Carolina. Um, okay. I lived all over the place. I'm I'm from North Carolina. I lived abroad for a couple years, and then I've lived in South Carolina, Washington D.C., Texas, Colorado, California, and now I live in New Jersey. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. What brought you around to all those different places? I lived abroad. I wanted to do my master's over in um, at Hebrew University in Jerusalem in Middle East studies, and so I lived there for a couple of years. And then I got my first job in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, so I moved there after grad school. And then, and you know, we can talk more about this, but like I really wanted to live in a bigger city because I wanted to meet a nice Jewish boy. <laughs> and I'm like, how am I going to find that in South Carolina? So I moved to DC and I did find my nice Jewish boy. That's where I met my husband. Um, and then I wanted to start my business. And he was like, well, if, I'm supporting you financially, at least at the beginning. Like I can't afford to do that in DC because it's an insanely expensive city. It's like New York. Um, so he had a job opportunity in Dallas, Texas, where it's much more affordable. So he's like, well, let's just move there. It's a good job opportunity for me. We can live off of just my income while I was getting things started. So that's what we did. And then it turns out Texas, well, normally is really hot <laughs> and yeah, needed yeah. that hot weather. And so I was like, well, let's move to Colorado. So it's always my dream for some reason to live in Colorado, even though I'd hardly spent any time there. So we moved and um, my husband got a job there as well. He works with the federal government. So it's very easy for him to transfer. And then um, out of the blue, he got a job in San Francisco and that was not the plan. We didn't, I did not want to leave Colorado, but we did move to San Francisco went through one fire season and I was like, nope, I'm done. Mm, oh <laughs> and gosh. then at this point I was just feeling homesick because, you know, we're both from the East coast. My husband's from New Jersey. So we're like, you know what, this is a fun adventure, but let's just move home. And so that's what we did. I, you know, I always find even when I travel anywhere, whether it's for a weekend or for an extended period of time, a period of time, you know, you learn so much more about yourself, you know, you get to kind of be like, oh, there's a whole world out here. Like you forget about that when you're stuck in, not stuck, but just so used to your same town and your same people. And then once you get out of there for a little bit, it's like, oh, wait, I got to remember there's this whole world out here and all these people and all these things I can experience. And did you find that every time you were moving or did you, you know, what was your experience with that? I had like this, um, I think it was almost like an unhealthy attachment to travel and, and like wanting to live somewhere else. Like I can never just be present. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was really like this, and this is something that I definitely experienced a lot in my twenties was like this desire to like, quote unquote, find myself. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I have to go to the other side of the world to find myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or I have to go live over here to find myself or live there to find myself. And so I kept doing that. And then I kept coming up short 
And now like I live in New Jersey and no hate to people who live in New Jersey. I mean, I live in New Jersey, but like of all the places I've lived, it's definitely the least sexy. Right. No, <laughs> no. I went to school in Jersey. So I'll say that too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's no like, you know, Rocky Mountains are not right here. San Francisco, like beautiful. It's, it's none of these kind of places. And yet I've never felt more rooted and grounded you know, and I think part of it is because of, you know, my family's here, my husband's family's here. Um, but I think it's also just because like, I've just stopped looking outside of myself or like where I'm going to travel to or where I'm going to live in order to quote unquote, find myself. And I've, right. you know, sounds kind of cliche, but I started like looking within <laughs> and, and yeah. there I am. No, I think that's completely valid. And even I hate to say it, but sometimes when we go places, we go there to experience it, but we have to share with people what we're doing, you know, whether it's like posting a picture or yeah, basically it's like posting a picture, posting something on Instagram. And it's like, you're sharing with the world how cool you are and how adventurous you are and how worldly you are. But it's like, yes, but make sure you're doing those things for you and not for the people who are going to see them. And, you know, I don't travel for those reasons, but that's definitely something I always do when I travel. And it's like, what does that mean for me right now? But, you know, you just learn as you go. Yeah, it's definitely something that's interesting to explore. Like if I'm traveling, why am I posting this? Do I need validation? Or is it like, if I don't post on Instagram, it doesn't exist. Like it never happened. (laughs) I know. Not that there's anything wrong with posting, you know, the things you're doing and wanting to share on Instagram. But I do think it's important to just kind of check in and seem like, hmm, okay, why am I, why am I doing this? What's what am I trying to get out of it? Absolutely. So speaking of social media and media in general, um, you have done a lot of work yourself and with helping other people with body image and loving your body and therefore loving yourself. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you started this journey and how you've kind of got to this point. Yeah. So I, um, the first time I felt fat was I was 11 years old. I was sitting on the school bus <laughs> going yeah. to sixth grade. I just remember I was feeling fat. And, um, I had also grown up with a mom who was constantly counting calories, constantly wanted to lose five or 10 more pounds or whatever. And so at 10 or 11, I was like, Oh, I know how to solve this. I just need to count my calories and then I can lose weight. And so that's when I went on my first quote unquote diet. And it's really been an up and down adventure between that time in my life until about my mid to upper twenties, um, where I was just obsessed around how, how big I was or how small I was. And I got a lot of reinforcement, you know, to that kind of behavior from the women in my family. You know, if I hadn't seen like my Nana or my mom in a little bit, then I would see them, they would comment, Oh, either you've lost weight or, Oh, you've gained weight. Obviously those, the gain weight always like would really be a dagger to my heart, but even, um, the, oh, you've lost weight or you look good or whatever, that kind of validation, you know, really helped solidify like, oh, I need to look good in order to get that validation from mom or my Nana whenever I see them. And then therefore I can feel good enough. And then therefore I can feel love. So basically what I learned Mm -hmm. to do, and I didn't realize it is I learned to receive love, receive attention, get validation through external experiences. And in this case, it was, you know, what my body looked like. And so translate that to wanting to build intimate connections with particularly romantic partners. I thought, oh, I just need to look a certain way. I need to be skinny or whatever. And that would be the vehicle in which I would connect with these partners. And I, you know, I was someone who deeply wanted 
a like I wanted to be married since I was in like 11th or not 11th grade um 11 years old mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I was yeah. like oh I'm just exploring or like I just want to meet about like no I'm like I'm a woman on a mission I want to be married and of course like I was attracting anything but that and I think a really big reason was because I was only able to connect with people on a very shallow physical level and so it's not really that surprising that I was just attracting like a lot of either one night stands or people who are just more interested in hooking up and nothing that you know ever went to anything more serious or more deep and so those are kind of like how the two parts of my life began to co-mingle and intermingle. And it was really not until I healed my issues around my body, my body image issues that I was able to be in a relationship, you know, that I really wanted to, to be in. And so I kind of went through my own little journey and my process. I worked as a therapist. I actually became a health coach because I thought I wanted to help people um, healthily lose weight. Um, I did a yoga teacher training and all these experiences actually Mm -hmm. changed my relationship to my body to the point where I was eating and I was moving my body not to just count calories or not to lose weight, but actually just to move my body and to nourish my body. And that was just like a radical, radical change. Like, oh, you mean I can eat this and not count calories and not think about how many jumping jacks my office I'm going to have to do so I can have the glass of wine after work. Um, And I have this and it would just like nourish me and I can enjoy it. And then if I wanted to move my body, I could, if I didn't want to, if I needed rest, I could. And that allowed me to be more intimately connect with myself, which then was a reflection of the kind of relationships, particularly romantic relationships that I was able to have. Um, and that's when I met my husband in DC. <laughs> wow. Well, there's so much that we could discuss in what you just shared. Let's see, where do we even begin? First of all, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. You know, that's very personal and vulnerable and I appreciate it because I know that it's something that so many people relate to on some level, no matter what it is, whether it's seeking that validation from people in your family or the romantic relationships or not knowing why you can't fully love yourself because we grow up with these ideas so instilled in us that like we have to look this way or you know, you're just supposed to be skinnier, no matter what, no matter what size you are, you know, you're just supposed to be skinnier. I feel like that's been so ingrained in us since the beginning as women in our lives and in media. It's just how it is. So when you were in these relationships that were, you know, not leading anywhere, I mean, I don't, I'm sure you weren't aware that it was because you were like, oh, well, I'm not comfortable with my body, you know, like what was going through your mind during those times? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. So this is something I see a lot with clients actually as well. So yeah, of course in the moment, in those times I was, I did not have the awareness of like, oh, I have these issues around my body and I'm only able to connect you know, I like, I didn't. Right. Right. Um, but then you know, the thing that was going through my mind was like this fantasy of like, oh, I'm going to be the one that gets them to like commit, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. like <laughs> fantasy, like that's really what was driving a lot of my behavior, a lot of my beliefs. You know, I just wouldn't read the writing on the wall. Like, you know, like I would never hear from these guys. And then I would hear from them like on, on 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, <laughs> Mm-hmm. you know no, that's no, where, I've been there yeah he calls you at two o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> I know you know I was just taking what I could get you know I was putting up with crap I was putting up with poor behavior if someone would leave me a breadcrumb I I, I would take it <laughs> yeah you know mm-hmm. and I can actually remember um 
one time I was hanging out with a couple of friends and one of the friends in our group, she just was like a very naturally, just very thin person. And I remember just like staring at her thinking like, oh my God, she can be in any relationship she wanted. Like, I really mm, believe that. I like really that's what, yeah. That she could have any guy she wanted because she was really skinny. Like, and it was just her body type. It was just how she was born. It was her genetics, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really, 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 really believed that. And I think that I was so obsessed, so focused on that, that I just was missing the A, like emotionally available guys right in front of me, but then B, they were right in front of me often, (laughs) but like I wasn't available for the kind of relationship that they were able to offer. And in fact, I was um, really, really good friends with this guy. We met first year. I went to UNC, go heels, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I, so at college, I met this guy and we were really like best friends, like just really, really good friends. And then um, our junior year, he confessed his love to me. And I was like, mm, I don't know if I feel the same way. And then I just let myself get in my head about it because we were such good friends. And then we fell in love. And then it was like, oh my God, like this is like a rom-com. Like I have to be in love with him. And so I kind of like forced myself to convince myself (laughs) that I was in love with him. And so then I was like, okay, fine, let's date. And I'm not saying that like he should have been the one, you know, not the you know person I ended up marrying, but I think that's a really good example of how I just simply at that moment wasn't available for the kind of relationship that he wanted to have with me. Like friends, great. We are great friends but in terms of taking it to that next level of intimacy I just wasn't able to have it and look I I do think that ultimately he wasn't the right person for me but like I do think it's just a really good example of like so often I I hear my clients and women in my community being like oh emotionally unavailable emotionally unavailable it's all I attract all I attract and a I'm like okay there's a good chance you're probably also emotionally available and b there's also probably a good chance that there's probably are emotionally available people right in front of you but you're not seeing them or you're not really able able to be in partnership with them because again, your own emotional availability. And that was completely the case with me. I think I've absolutely been there too. And it's, you know, again, of course you don't realize in the moment, but I think there was a time in my life, not too long ago, honestly, where I wasn't probably super confident in myself and my ability to like keep somebody's attention, I guess, for an extended period of time. However, you know, that they wouldn't go on to the next girl, basically. So whatever the guy wanted, I would do. And whatever he wanted to get together, I would be like, yep, I'm there. And it's ridiculous (laughs) because I put up with shit, with bullshit, you know, just because I have realized now that I didn't want to let him down, even though I was just like, his toy basically you know so but then again you know I feel like I had to go through those experiences in order to realize that and in order to be where I am today yeah that's what I always tell myself and my friends I'm like you learn from every relationship from every experience and you grow so yeah I have so much appreciation for all of my exes even the assholes and the jerks (laughs) (laughs) I know because I mean first of all for me, like I was just doing the best I could, you know, at the time with the tools and resources and knowledge that I had. So it's not fair for me to be like, oh, well, Veronica, you should have known or you should have done this. Like, no, no. I, just, I, I didn't know. Um, and I also really do believe that every single relationship that I had prepared me for the next relationship, which prepared me for the next relationship, the next. And that eventually got me to the point where I was ready and available to meet my now, my now husband. Um, right. And I think it's also really important to not 
be like, oh, I was so dumb for doing this, or why do I always go after the people who don't want me or whatever? Um, and it's really important to understand like why you do it, because I think that we do nothing is, I actually think that all human behavior is completely rational. Um, mm -hmm. And that can kind of rub people the wrong way because, you know, sometimes the behavior is really shitty. And, and so when you're on the receiving end of that, it can feel like, no, but that person was like, you know, that was like completely irrational. Like who would do that? Da, 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 da. And I think it's completely irrational. So just for my example, right? Like I learned that I could feel good enough if I got validation from other people. And I primarily got validation from other people through how I looked. And so I can sit there and like tell myself that I was wrong or criticize it or critique it or whatever, or, or I could decide to look at, okay, when did I actually learn that I needed to get other people's validation to be lovable, to be loved, to be good enough or whatever. And then I can look back to when I was 10 years old and thought I had to go on my diet and learned about body image stuff through my mom. And so then I need to go back and I need to basically reparent and reteach that little girl who learned this thing um, mm -hmm. so that she can begin to heal that and then change from the inside out because just telling yourself you should be different or telling yourself you should do something else or believe something else or think something else like that's really great but you're just relying on willpower at that point and willpower doesn't really change anything in the long term mm, yeah it's true it really takes that motivation and then that dedication to really working on yourself and it is so interesting just what you were saying you know how you learned these mindsets when you were so young. And I remember just little moments, you know, like I remember an adult in my life looking at an actress on TV and saying like, oh, she's not even that pretty. And then I remember that I was probably like six or seven. I remember looking at her and saying like, oh, how do I look like her? How am I not pretty? And I remember like that moment still plays in my mind whenever I see that actress on TV. And it's so weird it's like that one moment like really has stuck with me for a while and there's countless others and yeah. you know like growing up I was a dancer and like I've loved being in the dance studio but you're in front of a mirror literally all every day and you know I remember always like making sure I looked okay always seeing what looked a little bigger what looked a little smaller you know like those things really stick with you and you know they're good moments but they really shape who you are too and um you know, you do have to kind of reteach your mind as you learn like, hey, that was probably not the best behavior that you learned when you were 11, you know? Yeah, yeah that's, that's a great example of like these little micro moments that really have mm -hmm. an impact on how we see ourselves, others, men, women, love, relationships, all, all the things. Because uh, a lot of times when people hear me talk about like, you know, you have to look at your childhood to understand the behaviors and the patterns, particularly romantic patterns that you're in today. And people will be like, oh, well, you know, Veronica, you know, like my childhood was great. Like my parents loved me and there was no divorce. There wasn't like a tragic death or an illness or anything. And I'm like, no, this stuff applies to everyone. I don't care if you had the most yeah. idyllic childhood, like you still were conditioned and programmed by the media and also like your parents, like they might've been great and I'm sure they are great, but they're also humans and which means they're not perfect, which mm -hmm. means at some point they're going to project their own stuff onto us as kids. And when we're that young, we're just, we just absorb everything, especially from our parents because our parents are almost like these God-like divine creatures. It's not until you're at least a teenager when you realize like, oh, my parents are just humans. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Like, but until you make that realization that all this other programming is just like so stuck in, in your head now around um 
um, I mean, I mean, yeah, like I'm sure that comment, like, um, oh, she's not even that pretty, like that you probably created some belief around like, okay, so I'm going to be judged by everyone that I meet. And that's going to be tied to like my worthiness and my, um, lovability and all that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, until you realize that I'm able to do work around it, like that's absolutely going to affect how you show up like in romantic relationships and like your career, you know, especially with, with dance being such a activity that's based so much on the body and everything like yeah yeah, that's a perfect example like these little micro instances that can really really wreck havoc on us Uh uh-huh I know just to say quick like I still work on tv I'm still in entertainment like it's still a thing you still need Mm -hmm. attention you still have to look good you know so it's Mm -hmm. always something that I'm working on but I think I've realized lately that it's like you can't depend on those things for anything because it can go away like that and people could change their minds or people care about themselves and they don't care about you. And it's like, that's fine. Let them care about themselves and you just live your life. So you started to take this turn where you're like, I am coming to terms with my past and making a better turn towards the future. So you started your own healing journey and you went a little bit in depth about that. First of all, I want to ask, um, what tools did you really use to help you along this path? Yeah, that's a great question. So inner child work has been like, and and inner child work is basically what what we've just been talking about, like looking back at little micro instances in your childhood to understand like, you know, how you created beliefs, thoughts, Mm, all those things. Um, So that has been monumental because when I reached a low point in my relationships, like I just had two really bad relationships, just bam, bam, like right in a row. I mean, I just couldn't emotionally, I couldn't get myself together. I couldn't pull myself out. And so I went to like this, I don't know what she would call herself, like this spiritual kind of therapist. And that was the first time that any, actually that was the first time I'd ever been in therapy. And she asked me about my upbringing, about my family. And I was like, why the heck are you talking about this? Like, I just wanted to help me get this guy back, you know, <laughs> feel better. Yeah. You know? And so I was, I don't remember exactly what, I told her, I mean, I don't remember the exact story or what the exact thing was that I told her, but she just basically said, oh, so it sounds like your family was pretty emotionally shut down. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess you're kind of right. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so that really got me onto this path of like, okay, so now I can understand why I'm kind of emotionally shut down, why I only am able to connect with people through very superficial things, again, such as my body. And so I went on this journey of basically reparenting my 10 year old self who didn't feel always seen or loved or whatever by her parents. Now I want to be really clear here. Like I know my parents intellectually loved me. They took care of me. I had a good life. I mean, it was a very privileged life from the outside looking in, like things were great. And, and that's great. Except that as humans, we need more than just, you know, food, water, shelter. (laughs) Um, We also, you know, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we also have emotional needs. We have self-actualization needs. And a lot of those needs in my family didn't necessarily get met in the way that I needed to have them met. And so, and that's true for every family. No family is perfect. Every family is going to have some sort of dynamics. Like no one is free of this, whether you're a parent, you have children, or I mean, we all 
our children um, to our parents. Like no one is free of this at all. And so once I was really able to dive into this, it really helped to shift my self-talk um, rather than always criticizing myself or thinking I need to do more or better or wasn't good enough or whatever, then my relationship to myself radically transformed. And it just became a much more vulnerable, ult- intimate relationship with myself. And then that's going to reflect the kind of relationship that I'm able to have with others. Absolutely. Your self-talk is vital and your relationship with yourself has to come first, 100%. Can I ask, like, of course, it's a growing process during this time. You're going through things that you're not used to doing. You're challenging yourself. It's a little scary. So how did you handle those moments or those instances where you were, you're like, all right, I know I should try something new here. I know I should do something I'm not used to doing. And then it's a little scary, but you got to do it. What advice would you give to people who are trying to do that right now? Yeah, I don't know if I'm the best person to give advice for that because like, I've never been scared of trying new things. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't cool. know. Cool. It, de- it depends. If I go to a restaurant, yeah. and, like, you know, a sushi restaurant, I always want to California. I will always want a rainbow roll. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I'm to try something else. I'm like, what if I order it and I don't like it? And then it's going to, you know what I mean? So like in that, yeah. kind of, <laughs> that kind of situation, I'm like, I know what I like and that's what I want. But in terms of like, you know, diving into personal development, spirituality, travel. I've never been one to be nervous or apprehensive. So I just kind of do it. You know, I I do believe that we teach what we need to learn. And so I think I'm a really good teacher when it comes to building healthy relationships, because I think my default mode would be to like self-isolate, emotionally shut down, all those kind of things. And so I think I'm good at teaching that because I always have to learn if I, if I ever stop learning or healing in this part of my life, then like my relationships are just going to fall to shit basically. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) Um, it's true. But then in terms of like, just jumping in and trying new things and like going for it, I don't know. I just do it. (laughs) You just do it. So that's honestly the best advice to give though. You know, you have to, you just have to give it a shot and know that there's something better on the other side. Yeah. And Um, I kind of think like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, probably the biggest risk that I ever took was quitting my job and starting my business because I didn't mm. do like the whole, all right, I'm going to try to get a few clients and then maybe I'll try to drop back to part-time if they'll let me. And then I'll quit. You know, I just went cold Turkey. And it wasn't that, uh, cause it caught us a lot of stress. Um, but I just figured, okay, my worst case scenario, because I was living with my, at the time, boyfriend, who was largely covering our expenses, not completely, but largely doing that. Um, so I thought, okay, worst case scenario, my business isn't working. My boyfriend breaks up with me. So that means I'm just going to go move back home to North Carolina, live with my mom and work at Starbucks. Okay. I could deal with that. <laughs> and For then the I time could, being, you know, yeah, yeah. And I could either like try to start my business again, or I could apply for like a job that was more an industry I wanted to be in. And then I would just move wherever that new job was. Then that would be that. I'm like, okay, I, right. I can do that. And so that's why that was my worst case. It never came to that, but I would, I'd be okay if that's where it came to. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's realizing, do I want this badly enough to be like, if I have to move home and work at Starbucks for a few months, can I do that in order to pursue this dream and make it a reality? And sometimes you have to, you know, as scary as it is. And as much as you have to kind of like swallow your pride a little bit, you know, sometimes it's worth it. So let's get into that. First of all, what job were you at beforehand? Oh God, I was at the worst job in the world. So I won't say what the company was, but okay, (laughs) I worked worked in Washington, DC. I was basically working for, it wasn't like a lobbying group, but we did advocacy on Capitol Hill. Cool. um, Mostly progressive policies. 
so it seemed right at my alley, but it was just an awful, awful working environment. The only gratitude I have for it is that it was what drove me into entrepreneurship because I was so miserable. Um, yeah. I knew I made a mistake from like day three of that job. And so, you know, as soon as I realized that job is not the place for me, I was like, okay, well, what can I do? And I really wanted to be in corporate wellness. Um, I had been teaching fitness and yoga for a long time at that point. And like, I so I really wanted to like work for a consulting company that would help companies build corporate wellness programs for their employees, but no one would hire me. Cause even though I had like an exercise certification, I didn't have like a master's or a bachelor's degree in those areas. And so I thought, okay, I guess I'll just start my own business and do that <laughs> instead. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I don't even know where to begin for that. I have no idea what to do. So then I thought, okay, well maybe I should just teach yoga and fitness classes full time. And, um, a good friend of mine was like, well, I think you might get a little bored if that was really all you were doing. And it might get a little exhausting, just running from class to class, to class, to class, to class constantly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. Okay. And she's like, but you should check out my friend. She became a health coach. And so she teaches all these classes and she does this health coaching, um, as well. And you know, that seems to work out really well for her. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And so that's when I got into health coaching and then I went to, um, IIN, which is like a health coaching certification program. And I went well beyond answering your question, but no, you're fine. Yeah, it was basically my crappy job that was like, okay, I need to do something else. (laughs) Yeah. So what is a health coach? So when I was teaching, I was teaching spin classes and, um, I I teach spin too. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I got, I haven't taught in years. I wouldn't probably not be able to teach it these days. Um, (laughs) (laughs) anyways, so I was teaching spin classes and I would have some students that were regulars of mine and they would come into class and they would just be like, Oh, Bronico, you got to work me really hard. I had a brownie last night. And at this point I had done a lot of healing around my body image stuff. And I was like, man, Mm -hmm. I really don't want people to have this kind of relationship with exercise food and their body. Like that's just really sucks. And it's hard. Right. Like have a brownie if you want to have a brownie. Yeah. Yeah. Like eat the freaking brownie. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I literally just had two cookies before I call like, not even joking. Yeah. Um, No. so anyways, and, and so that kind of inspired me like, okay, so maybe this health coaching thing could be really helpful because then I can, you know, have this other kind of income resource or this, or this other business that would just help people have more holistic relationship. And I, and I would feel like I'm helping people more holistically rather than just being their spin instructor, or yoga teacher, or whatever it was. That's what kind of drove me. And so I, you know, I went to IIN. Um, so I'm really grateful that I had that crappy job because even though it didn't pay well, um, because I was also teaching fitness classes, I made enough money to basically like fund the beginning of my business to get my certification, to pay for a website, all that kind of stuff. Cause all this stuff costs money. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I said, I'd quit my job cold Turkey. I was doing all the things I was supposed to do. I was blogging every week, sending emails, trying to grow my newsletter list. And I really freaking hated health coaching. (laughs) Oh, no way. I, I had just healed so much of my body stuff at that point. Like I didn't want to talk about food anymore. Like I didn't, yeah. I, honestly, I didn't care if people ate, like as long as it feels good for you, like that's cool. Like I just did not care. But at the same time, my relationship with my husband was getting more serious. And also I was working with um, a business coach at the time and I had said some things to her in passing. I had said, 
well, you know, a lot of people in my, as I was a health coach and, and I was like, a lot of people come to me and they say they want to lose weight in order to date. Um, and I was saying like, oh yeah, all my friends like want me to write their dating profile for some reason. I don't know why. Or like all my friends want their, what my dating advice, or they want to know what my take is on a relationship situation. And my business coach was like, well, have you thought about being like a dating coach or maybe like a dating health coach or something like that? So like tie these two things together. Yeah. And, like, and these two things have been pretty like interwoven in your own life. So it seems to make sense for your business. And I was like, people don't, that's not a thing. Like people don't hire dating coaches or love coaches. Turns out it is a thing. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. I've heard about it so much more recently now too. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and so here I am. And so that is how I got to doing the love coaching, but also with the flair of not really the health coaching so much anymore, but just like this holistic, like, let's do the inner work. I'm not going to sit there and help you like craft the perfect profile, but like, let's figure out why you're putting up with crap or whatever. Right. And then we can heal that. And then hopefully attract a different caliber. Wow. That's amazing. So do you work with mostly single people going to hopefully find a relationship or is it couples or both? I don't work with couples. I work mostly with singles. Some people that come to me, I work mostly with women, not necessarily all are straight, but so yeah, most are single. Some are in a relationship and they're either a trying to figure it out. B they're trying to leave and having trouble leaving. Mm. Um, I would say that's like 25% of my clients and then 75% are single and wanting to be in a relationship. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what does a typical day look like for you? <laughs> well, very different now. If there I is one. Have, oh, yeah. You know, have a baby. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because now I pretty much am with my baby and then I do work, um, not client work, but when my husband's at work, I just, I do like, you know, writing emails, creating podcasts, all that kind of stuff while he's in nap time. And then I have clients in the evenings and weekends. <laughs> but before, um, yeah, I would have clients Mondays and Wednesdays, no, Mondays and Tuesdays, Wednesdays is podcast day, Thursdays is outreach days. And then Fridays was maybe either admin, if I had extra things, just little pieces to do, or I just wouldn't work and I would just hang out and do my thing with my life. But it's a little bit different now with the baby. I know. I know. That's okay. He's worth it. I'm sure. (laughs) So what would you say are some of the most common themes that you see throughout your clients, like about work that we need to do in order to be the best versions of ourselves? Yeah. So I think the number one thing that I see is especially women who are newer to the kind of work that I do and newer to my community, I get a lot of like, well, you know, online dating has just really messed things up or it's just really hard to meet people online. Or I just wish, you know, I just want to meet people in real life. And they just put a lot of stock in this thing of online dating. And that's gotten even worse, you know, with pandemic. And I think that that is just like a completely missed, what's the word? I can't think of the word that I, I want to use to describe it, but it's just like talking about the wrong thing, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, match.com came around in 94, 95. And I'm like, okay, I know you, depending on your age, you may or may not have been dating before 94, 95. You might have, I don't know. Cause I, I have clients from like 20 something, to like 60 something. So some were dating before 95, but I'm like, okay, do you really think that dating was just like this wonderful experience for people before 1995? <laughs> yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> 
not. So like, is it really true or is it really fair to say online dating is this horrible thing that has just really screwed things over? And the truth is, is that like whatever experience you're having online is probably just an exacerbated experience of whatever your pattern is to begin with. So Mm -hmm. if you get really triggered around people rejecting you, like not writing you back or whatever, then that probably shows up in some way, whether you're meeting people at like a party or work or, or whatever. Online dating is not the reason anyone is still single. Let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's this obsession over it. And when there's that obsession, it's really hard to... There's, there's a couple of things going on. One is like, you're pointing the finger outside of yourself and you're blaming men or you're blaming online dating or you're blaming pandemic or you're blaming like whatever. And then it's not that I want to like get everyone to start like blaming themselves or, and be mean to themselves, but I do want people to recognize that they're the common denominator in all of mm-hmm. their past relationships and all of their lives. And so you really have to ask yourself from where am I attracting these relationships? Am I attracting these relationships from a place of like needing to feel good enough? So if this person loves me or this person likes me, then that makes me feel chosen or good enough. Well, that's not going to be a really healthy foundation for a relationship. I don't care how you meet that person online or in person, like that's not going to be a good relationship. Um, And so I think when there's just so much obsessiveness and focus on, on that, it just makes a doing the healing work really, really difficult because like you're completely blind to your own blocks, your own blind spots. And you're just wasting your time focusing on the wrong thing. I love online dating. I think online dating is a fantastic way to meet people, COVID or not. But like, you just, you're not going to be able to succeed on it when you have like these blocks about how horrible and awful it is. And because the truth is, and I'll just give like one quick little tip. Um, Yeah, there are creepers and weirdos and assholes and everything (laughs) on online dating. But you know what? They exist in bars too. They exist at your work or your church, wherever else you meet people. And so instead of like trying to resist or get really pissed off or even police that kind of behavior, it's like, oh, okay, there's another asshole. Block, delete, move on. And then boom, just be done with it. Because there are great Mm -hmm. people online, but if you focus on that, then like you're just really doing yourself a disservice. And like that same asshole that's online, like he probably goes to a church somewhere or he goes to some bar somewhere or he goes. Right. To He's bar. obviously in your town. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> somewhere else. You know what I mean? So like, stop like obsessing over that and instead just focus on yourself and your own healing and asking yourself, what's my come from, from where am I attracting these people? You know, what childhood experiences have I gone through? again, like the micro experience, like you did, or even like the bigger things like a death or a divorce or whatever, and get really clear on like, from what are the beliefs or the mindsets that are limiting in nature and holding you back? Focus on that. Right. Focus on those and those experiences and then what you could do to change them, obviously. For example, like I know I have like some trust issues from past relationships Mm -hmm. and I definitely, I noticed like I'll feel triggered right away when I'm, like you said, I'm not getting a text back or I'm waiting for somebody to pick me up and then it's taken like maybe 10 minutes too long. Like I feel myself getting anxious from that, but I know that's from my past experiences and it's like having to block that off and be like, all right, this is not now, this is something completely different and having to just rewire my brain. So I know this is not a session, This, but like if you were working with a client on this issue, like what would be the first step to kind of rewire that practice? 
Yeah. So what I would say is I would say the trust issues that you had in your previous relationships, those are not even like, those are just manifestations of the deeper core wound. And so I would say like, that's not even the, the version of yourself that was in those past relationships getting triggered by someone not texting you back or taking a long time to text back. I would say that probably takes you back to something from maybe even takes you back to that moment, you know, when someone was like, oh, she's not even that pretty. Cause maybe mm-hmm. like, you're like, oh, maybe I'm not that pretty. Maybe I'm not good enough. Right. Because pretty can be interjected with good enough, lovable, loved, all of those things. And so I would take you back to that moment and have you connect with that little six or seven year old girl and have you reparent her and really support her and, and healing and then shifting that belief. Because I think that's the part of you that's getting triggered when you don't get that text back or when he takes forever to to text back. You know, I I do hear a lot of people saying, Oh, because my past relationships, right. Issues or da, 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 da. And I'm not saying like our past relationships as an adult don't have an effect. They absolutely do. I mean, everything affects us. Um, however, I think that those past relationships, they're just manifestations of the deeper core wound. They're not, you know, rarely does anything happen randomly. You know what I mean? Sure. There's yeah. not those examples people could probably like, <laughs> but like for the most part, you know, I, so I would say like, okay, so when that guy doesn't text you back, I would say, okay, how can you connect to that little six-year-old girl and really support her in that moment so that she doesn't go into that tailspin, have a triggered response, all that kind of stuff. God, that's so interesting because it's so true. And we, I think of like these moments in my life in my adult life where I've been hurt and like my heart's been broken. And I feel like those are the moments I remember. But if I really go back to those moments, the hurt you feel is really like that just pure child hurt of like, how could you do this to me? Like I'm innocent. Like I'm, you know, just this kid who's like just trying to make her way in the world. And it's, yeah, like that's the part of you that's really getting hurt. And I never really thought of it that way. So that's really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff, especially for those who like psychology or like psychoanalyzing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do too. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. So you are helping people all day, every day. What do you do during the day to help yourself? Oh, that's a great question. And um, something I'm always (laughs) striving to do better. Um, Yeah. So all of that, again, kind of got turned upside down. You know, I used to have this beautiful, amazing morning routine Mm -hmm. that was just so luxurious. I would have a nice breakfast. I would have either a decaf or a matcha and I would do my meditation and my journaling and <laughs> so wonderful. It was really wonderful. Yeah. And, yeah. And I had a baby and things got a little different. Um, <laughs> so now for me, my self-care is if I can just have 10 minutes to do my meditation every day for right now, like that's, that's good enough. Um, I hope that it's not good enough forever, but like for right now, like in the stage of life that I'm in, that's, you know, I always tell tell my clients, like, if there was just one thing that you could do, like, what's that one thing? And so for me, I should say I have two things. So one thing is definitely the, um, the meditation, just 10 minutes at least. Uh, and then the second thing is I need to get outside and go on a walk. And so mm-hmm. even if it's like 20 something degrees, which has been really cold this winter, I'll bundle myself up, I bundle my baby up and we are hitting the road. <laughs> we nice, are going for nice. a walk. And I'm listening to one of my favorite podcasts. So those two things, like, so a little bit of movement and then a little bit of quietness are the cornerstones. And then if 
I can get other things in, like those are just, you know, I do like online yoga. So if that can happen, like that's great, but it's not like a must do. It's like a be really great too. Um, but those two things are the most important things for me. That's awesome. And it's so great that you are still taking that, even if it's just 10 minutes, but it's like, these are my 10 minutes that I'm going to use. So you also have your podcast called Love Life Connection, which I'm assuming focuses obviously on what we've been talking about. I saw it's, you have people call in with their um, their situation. uh, (laughs) I'm trying to think, oh my God. I'm totally losing my train of thought. What's that? Not train of thought. I'm forgetting that woman's name. Um, Delilah. Oh my God, Delilah. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I we all love Delilah. Delilah. I love Delilah. And so I'm like, I want to show like Delilah. And so now it's not a really show like Delilah. I don't play top 40 or whatever. But um, yeah, I have women come onto the show and then I coach them because you know, I know maybe some of your listeners are listening to this and they're like, okay, I kind of, I'm following this. I get this, but that feels really overwhelming or like, that feels like a lot or like, what does that even mean? Or what does it look like to do this inner child work? And plus I think coaching is relatively new. Um, people know, like they understand therapy. If you say, oh, I'm going to therapy or whatever, but right. like, it's like, what exactly is that? Or like, uh. And so I wanted to create my show that really, A, could help people who are calling in B listen, help people who are listening because you can probably relate to most people's experiences in some way or another. And then C just really showcase what coaching is and how it can help people. Because I don't think people can understand, really understand it because it's, it's still relatively new. And I think that a lot of people, um, you know, when they have a relationship struggle or something, you know, they might go to a therapist because that's, the only option that they're aware of. I'm having a hard time in relationship. I go see a therapist. And sometimes that might be the right answer, but I think a lot of times people end up going to therapy, but they're really looking for something like coaching. And so they go to therapy and it's not as helpful as they were hoping it to be. And like, oh, maybe it's just therapy or maybe it's me or maybe it's therapist or whatever. But I think it's really the modality. They're really looking for something like coaching rather than therapy, but coaching is new. I'm trying to showcase that. True. Yeah. And I feel like I've heard about it so much more recently. I think like it's really gaining its popularity and probably strength in the society. So that's awesome to hear. Everybody should check out your podcast for sure, because it's just so interesting to hear people's raw emotions and raw tales and just, you know, you're helping them right on the spot. And that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that must be so rewarding for you. Yeah. I love doing it. It's fun. Oh, great. Great. That's awesome. So I wanted to ask you if you could go back to the girl who is just about to quit her job and she's starting her business and she's gung-ho ready to go, but probably very anxious too. Um, what would you tell her now? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would I tell her? Cause I don't regret anything I did, even though I certainly made mistakes. I think I would tell her to remember to keep living her life. Um, I do think for a while, you know, I, I had healed a lot of my body image stuff, but I think in some ways I had transferred some of that stuff to the business. So like I would feel good enough if, you know, I got a lot of clients that month or, or I wouldn't feel good enough if I didn't get clients that month or, or whatever. Right. And so my worthiness was tied to the business in the early years in much the same way that, you know, my worthiness was tied to the number on the scale for a while. Um, And so I would just want her to remember to live her life. Like you have to be your, when you're a coach, like you have to be your own best client. Not that like I was 
you know, you have to be perfect or that it was disingenuous, but like, there's obviously like a disconnect if I'm sitting there like freaking out about like everything with my business and not really living my life. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be a life coach. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> there's yeah. a little bit of a disconnect there. So <laughs> I think that's what I would go back and tell her just to not forget to live your own life. And yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so important. And, you know, I always think like at the end of life, like, what are you going to look back on? Are you going to look back on you know, the numbers or, you know, the amount of money you made that night or that, that yeah. night. Oh, I don't know what job I'm talking about, but, <laughs> but that month or whatever, but are you going to look back on the moments where you were happiest and you were helping people? And of course that's, that's what it's all about. And it's easy to forget, but that's what we have to remember for sure. Totally. Um, I did want to ask you this one question. I know like you are a person who gives advice, but what is the best advice that you have ever received? Hmm. So the job that I hated, the one I mm-hmm. told you about, the other good thing that came from that job was I had this mentor. She actually was, she personally funded the position that I ended up getting. So, because I guess she personally funded it. She obviously wanted to have, you know, me do, she, she wanted to have her way, you know, and make sure that like gotcha. I was doing things that were important. So, but anyways, um, she, uh, I mean, she was much older. I mean, she was in her fifties or sixties. So like, definitely like a mentor and I was more of a mentee. And so she would always say to me, Veronica, done is better than perfect. Done is better Mm -hmm. than perfect. (laughs) And, um, I am somewhat a perfectionist, not like I used to be. And also not like others that I've seen, but like, I can definitely just not get things done because they're not perfect. (laughs) And I think in terms of business, for sure, that has been one of the most important things. And then I think in terms of life, so I worked at this coach for a couple of years and, um, you know, she would always just remind me like, what is meant for you cannot pass you. Cause I'm like always the one that wants to control like, Oh, I want this to happen. I want to do this. And like, okay, right. what's meant for you cannot pass you. And so that has really helped me to release a lot of control. Uh, cause I can't control everything. I mean, there's some things I can control, but not a lot. And mm-hmm. so just trusting and sitting back like, okay, it's meant to happen. It's not going to pass me. You know, whether or not it's true, I don't know, but it helps me release control. So yeah. it, it was helpful. No, I think that's so true because of course you go throughout your days wanting to make it the best day you can, but you know, you have to realize that we're in a whole world where all these different things are going on and we can't mm-hmm. take charge of everything. And yeah, it's so important to remember that. So yeah, I love that. That's great advice. So you have your business, you have your podcast, you have a, a child, you have so much going on. You're balancing a ton when you look at the future now, how do you view it? Hmm. How do I view it? I'm just, you know, I'm just really excited for the future. I'm excited to watch my son kind of grow up, you know, I'm like, yeah. I'm not like wishing the time away. I'm like, Oh, I can't wait till I'm going to change diaper. Like not, not like in that way, but you know, it's so fun to see him reach milestones and all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited for that. Um, I'm excited for, you know, my business is at a really good spot right now. You know, the first few years of your business, you really do have to hustle. I don't care what people say. You really do have to hustle. It's, and it's it's all you. You have no support. No one knows who you are. No one cares who you are. <laughs> it's so mm-hmm. But I'm at a point in my business where things are um, more streamlined. I have support. And it's able to support me and my family. So everything just feels like it's in flow. 
Good. And so it's just, um, I don't know, I'm excited about the future. This was so lovely chatting with you and you do such amazing work and it's so interesting to hear about what you do and truly, yeah, it really intrigues me. So um, thank you for taking the time to come on and chat with me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, So where can people find you on Find Your Podcast and is it possible to book with you virtually? Yeah. So you can find my podcast. It's wherever you're listening to this podcast. Most likely it's called Love Life Mm -hmm. Connection. And if you want to learn more about the kind of work that I do, you can um, sign up for my free workshop. Um, It's called the five steps ending overwhelm and anxiety in your love life. And you can get that at veronicagrant.com forward slash workshop. And then, yeah, if you are interested in um, coaching with me, you can go to veronicagrant.com forward slash coaching. Amazing. All right. Yeah, definitely. Everybody go check that out. Thank you so much. This was such a great way to spend the afternoon. (laughs) I hope it was helpful. I hope your audience likes it. Yes. Well, I definitely did too. So thank you. (laughs) All right. It was so nice to meet you. You too. Okay. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.